Shri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Bhagavad Premanandi. So, good evening. Welcome. Continue our discussion. Now we come to the fourth of the four, as they're thought of, uh, essential verses of the Bhagavad Gita found in the 10th chapter. This again, as we discussed yesterday, is the Gaudiya uh, conception of what the essence of the Gita is. Um, one might think, okay, well, so much for that. So the Gaudiya people in that lineage, they think that's the essence of the Gita. Others may think something else is the essence of the Gita. Certainly they might, and certainly they do. Um, but it is said, of course, that to love someone is to know someone. Hmm? And to know someone is to love someone. I guess it goes that way, too. So the point I'm making here, and, and, and briefly, for our own faith and, and, uh, and commitment, um, everyone thinks that their path is the best, or they should, hmm? at least for themselves. Otherwise, how they can have the uh, commitment and enthusiasm to pursue it. Hmm? And so they will measure it with some yardstick of objectivity um, while respecting others for their faith and, and particular approach as well. But the Godias, my point here is, they have some uh, very powerful reasoning as to why, for example, in this instance, their determination as to what is the essence of the Gita is actually, objectively speaking, the essence of the Gita. <laughs> and that is because, very simply, as I'm pointing out, they, the Gita is spoken by Krishna, and they are devotees of Krishna, and they are devotees of Krishna in an extraordinary way. For example, they make the point and this is the point that was raised in the first of these four verses, that Krishna's to Bhagavan Svayam. This is quite a flattering statement. It means that of all the various manifestations of the Godhead, Ram, Nishringa, Varaha, Buddha, and so on and so forth, Krishna is the fountainhead. They make this assessment in a very interesting way as well by way of measurement of love, which is, of course, would seem Im immeasurable. Hmm? Uh, but this is their, their, their calculus, this is, the, this is their ruler. Hmm? That form of the Godhead with whom we can become the closest. What expression of divinity uh, amongst the many can we come most closely, become most, most closely united with? Hmm? United here means united in the dynamic sense, of course. I was speaking briefly with Matt this morning, and he said, I'm a bhakta. Hmm? This is his determination. So he's looking where he can be do bhakti hmm? in, the, in, in the, 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 the continent here. Hmm? where he lives. And there may be different expressions of bhakti, but bhakti in general, of course, speaks of, of a, how love either transcends knowledge or amounts to the highest form of knowledge. When you love someone, then you know what to do, and that kind of knowing is a very essential kind of a knowing. It doesn't carry with it any extra baggage of information. Hmm? Uh, to weigh one down, to burden one's path. Here, in Krishna Bhakti, as the Gaudias have presented it, we, f we find this extraordinary idea of, of intimacy in Bhakti with the Absolute, the likes of which uh, is, is not discussed elsewhere. Hmm? Mostly we, we hear of union in a dynamic sense, this is a loving union, hmm? Not a union that cancels out uh, uh, 
object of love and um, the vessel of love, the two components of love. You have to have the object of love, and then you have to have the lover, the lover, the container of the love for love. These two, of course, they become one in love, but that union is, as I say, a dynamic union that doesn't cancel out one or the other. It's more of an exchange of hearts where I accept your heart and your desires as mine, and you accept my desires as yours. You and I in love become we. Hmm? That is what I mean by a dynamic union. Hmm? Uh, so, in in all schools of of uh, of bhakti, in which bhakti is itself the goal, there are schools of bhakti in which bhakti itself is not the goal. That's another thing. There are schools of bhakti that teach. By doing bhakti, you will get jnana, knowledge. And attaining knowledge, then you will have nothing to do. Action, that means, in relation to things, and the subsequent attachment that uh, is derived from that, is ignorance. So if you're knowledgeable, if you know, in a substantial sense then in your pursuit of enduring happiness and enduring life, let us say in pursuit of enduring life, um, you would be uh, ill-advised to look in the direction of things that are here today and gone tomorrow. If you want to build an enduring life, then you're going to build it out of sand. Hmm. It's only castles burning, something like that. Hmm. So, <laughs> so, therefore the idea is that in the Gyanmarg, in the path of knowledge, in the yogic and Vedantic uh, context, um, well, if you want an enduring life, you should not pursue a life in relation to things. And therefore you should cease from action. Knowledge is the end of action because action is only in relation to things that are here today and gone tomorrow and an apparent difference, apparent diversity. Hmm? It doesn't really exist. In other words, the diversity of hot, cold, happy, sad. This is only a perception of the senses. For you it might be hot in here. For me it might be cold. So which is it? So this diversity is thought to be illusory. Therefore, reality must be a unity with no diversity and therefore no movement. Diversity implies some movement, some difference, possibility of of interaction, exchange. Um, So, there are schools that posit, of course, knowledge is the end, and the end is therefore... Shanti, shanti, shanti. Peace, peace, peace. Quiet. And there are schools that employ bhakti for arriving at that peace as an easy means to gradually cease from interacting with things by interacting with things that have somewhat of a spiritual connotation rather than things that have only a material connotation, using them as a crutch then to gradually giving up interaction with things altogether of any sort, hmm? sattvic things even, hmm? even sattvic knowledge, leaving it and then sitting still forever. This is what we call loving to exist. And as I mentioned the other day, we're interested in existing to love. It's a different idea. And if we exist to love and we use love just for the sake of existing, (laughs) then our giving in that context of bhakti is not really a wholesale giving because it's 
not giving for the giving's sake. It's giving for getting knowledge by which I can stop from this exercise of giving that's helping me to give up my preoccupation with things, which is making me busy and troubled because I get them and then they disappear and they're not, they don't turn out to be what I thought they would be. They don't fulfill me in the way that I thought they would. Acquisition is, becomes problematic only. Um, I'm more than anything I could gain by material acquisition in and of myself. So that acquisition is just a, a burden. So, at any rate, to, to use love to, uh, in a sense, and in, in giving, giving by, to the, to the, um, it's either in service to humanity, in service to the temple, uh, to the deity, uh, different forms of, of expressions of love, like hearing and chanting about God, hmm? glorifying God, um, giving to God, with a view to gradually be weaned from, as I say, um, dependence on things, the need for interaction, and so on and so forth, so that you can sit still and be quiet. This is not the kind of bhakti that um, that the Gaudias are teaching. This is a bhakti that has knowledge as its end, that, that stops giving when knowledge... Uh, accrues. Hmm. No. But then there are other schools that are about giving for the sake of giving. Hmm. We'd have to look at them and see. I'm basically speaking about two uh, technically speaking concepts, nirguna bhakti and saguna bhakti. Saguna bhakti means bhakti within this world, some devotion for the sake of transcending this world and being still. Hmm. Nirguna bhakti means bhakti for the sake of bhakti. Hmm. It does not end with the transcendence of birth and death. Hmm. But it constitutes not only peace that comes from ending the war with nature, so to speak, in the attempt to acquire it, control it, and, and so on and so forth. That's troublesome. Not only the peace, but, but beyond peace, love. Peace and love, they say. Both have to be there. <laughs> peace and love. <laughs> we were raised on that. Uh, however ill-conceived, uh, it's not a bad idea. And indeed, to refine the object, hmm, to give somewhere is a good idea. That giving in itself will gradually refine the object hmm, of love. Hmm. If we understand philosophically the point that giving is the getting, then as we give, even if we give off center, there is some getting. Hmm. And some of the getting is the knowledge that the object I reposed my love in is not a, 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 an object that is, is uh, capable of receiving in full measure of my capacity to give. That's why we talked about, we're talking about even today. Krishna, Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam, the center, hmm? to find the center. So giving in any capacity will gradually, if one is committed to that, hmm? refine the object of one's, uh, in which one reposes oneself. So giving of any God, peace and love, they used to say. We start there. Gradually, it, it may be refined. <laughs> we come to Krishna, ultimately. So the idea here is that, that maybe there are other schools of bhakti then that are about transcendental love, not just peace, but peace and love in transcendence, which means movement in transcendence. Peace means peace. Stop. Stop the war. Peace. It's kind of an interim. It's like it's like the uh, put it on hold, hmm? something like that. Peace. There's a treaty. It's peace. But then we move on from the peace, and we have commerce and interaction between the nations, and 
and uh, and and meaningful exchange, love, so peace, and love. So there are doctrines, uh, teachings, schools that teach bhakti for peace, and then there are schools that teach bhakti for peace and love, which means that the bhakti continues in transcendence. That means that there's a you and a, you and a God, and the two become one in a dynamic sense. So there's reciprocal dealings. Now, in the context of those schools, then the point I'm making here is that the Gaudias speak about the possibility of uniting in love with the Godhead in a way with such intimacy, uh, a measure of intimacy, I would say, that's not mm, described... Uh, elsewhere, it's hinted at to some extent, um, talked about uh, slightly in some forms of Catholicism, the John of the Cross and becoming the bride maid of the, of Christ, and so forth. Uh, maybe in in in, in Rumi, you might find some thing along these lines. But this is the centerpiece of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This this is where it excels. This is, as I said, why these verses are this, considered by the Gaudis the center of the Gita, because they're the center of the life of God in the sequel to the Gita, the Bhagwat, Rasalila in particular, Krishna's love with Avrata and the gopis. So this this is very much played out, not hinted out, bowed, or talked about slightly here or there and in ambiguous ways, but very clearly with a, with a Vedanta that underlies it, um, a kind of a canvas of knowledge on which this art of love is, uh, love of God is drawn, love of God in intimacy, not in awe and reverence, but in intimacy, and to an extreme measure. Hmm? And so, um, even in the context of worshiping Krishna, I want to say, there are different ideas about Krishna, different schools of the of the East. The Gaudias, their ideas, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swami, it's very flattering. He's the fountainhead of all avatars. We we make this statement because we find in him the example of loving reciprocation that exceeds that which we find in Narayan, in the Buddha, in Ram, Ramachandra, and so forth. It's not to make less of them. They are different faces of him. For uh, for different devotees of different transcendental bias, which bhakti is, is a transcendental bias. Love is a bias. Uh, but uh, the statement is objective. If we look at the capacity of Ram to reciprocate up to a certain point on Narayan, up to a certain point. And Krishna, and he makes the challenge himself in the Gita, however much you want to approach me, I can reciprocate. However audacious is your idea of how closely you would want to get to me, I will reciprocate in kind and come close to you. And of course, the exemplar of this, who, who took him up on it to the, in full measure, is these Rajsundris, the milkmaidens of the pastoral lila of Krishna. Extreme example in how he gave himself to them. To, in what, to what extent? To the extent to which he had to say to them, You win, he said. I put out the challenge. However people surrender to me and give themselves to me, I will give back accordingly. You've given in such a way that that your giving is more than I have to reciprocate with. It's more worshipable than me. I worship it. I bow to it. Hmm? This is the genesis, of course, of Sri Krishna Chaitanya, the founder of the Gaudias. That appearance of Chaitanya, hmm, that is Krishna trying himself to experience himself from Radha's perspective. And so my point here is that the Gaudias, they say very flattering things about Krishna. Hmm? No one flatters him more. Hmm? Uh, and so 
there's an argument then that they may know more about him. Hmm? If you if you love somebody and you and you only want to glorify them, then you know they're they're inclined. William uh, Grover Cleveland said, "If you love someone, they'll tell you, he'll tell you their his secrets." So this is the idea of bhakti. If you love someone, he'll tell you his secrets, and all the he all the secrets that came out. This is Srimad Bhagavatam. All the secrets. Hmm? They loved him so. There was nothing he could hide. Hmm? They exhausted the mystery of the Godhead. So he had to create another mystery. The mystery of Krishna trying to be a devotee of himself and per- personify in that appearance and teach the glory of bhakti itself, the glory of devotion itself. So this is an extreme idea of bhakti. And so it's these kinds of people with this very extreme idea of bhakti that say, these are the most essential verses of the Gita. They have good reason for it. We come to the fourth of them tonight. Krishna says here what? He says, Tesha me vanukam partam aham agyana jam tamaha. Nashayami atma bhavasto gyanadipena bhashvata. He's been giving, as we heard in the first verse, the basic conceptual orientation, samanda gyan. A very huge installment of that. We call it the password to unlocking the entirety of the tattva, the underlying metaphysical truth of the Bhagavatam. That password is, again, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. That you get in. You understand it then. The, the, the underlying, as I say, the, 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 the canvas on which the art of that loving exchange that's depicted there is drawn, the philosophical canvas. Hmm? This gives you some footing there for pursuing wise love. Hmm? He says that. Knowing this, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, you're in a good position to develop love and intimacy with me. We should mention that, that the fact, philosophical point, that if we are to have a most intimate relationship with the Godhead, finite beings as we are, he being the infinite, um, the finite, the infinite will have to take a finite-like appearance in order for us to get close to him. Otherwise, we'd think, I'm sitting next to the infinite. Oh, my God. And there would be some distance. So the human-like form of Krishna, this is the infinite in a finite-like, not finite, but finite-like in appearance form. Hmm? That a leela of the highest knowledge would be played out in in an in a, in apparent unknowingness and ignorance, hmm? divine unknowing, Krishna doesn't know that he's God. And as I said last night, that's more knowing than his omniscience, hmm? because it's a loving kind of it's a knowing that fuels loving, and loving is the real is the real knowing. Hmm? Again, if you love someone, Mr. Cleveland said, they'll tell you their secrets. All of the secrets. This is the this is the beauty of bhakti. It's very it's difficult to argue against this idea. So what kind of love? Well, the greater the love, the more selfless the love, the more enduring the love, the more the secrets. Hmm? So he gave a conceptual orientation that orientates us towards that in such a way that a particular type of action will be, will be fostered by that. That action. That's called bhakti, krishnanushilanam. Anabhilashita sunyam, gyan karmadi anabhritam, anukulena krishnanushilanam, bhakti uttam. Uttam bhakti. Not just bhakti, uttam bhakti. The superlative idea of bhakti. And this verse I cited from Sri Rupa Goswami, this is a distilled definition of that bhakti. He calls it Krishnanushilanam, the ongoing culture of action favorable 
to Krishna, that will please Krishna. This is Haritoshanam, Samsidhi Haritoshanam. The Samsidhi, the complete Siddhi, perfection of Dharma. How will it be? What is the most Dharmic thing you can do? That by which Hari, another name for Krishna, God is most pleased. Hmm? He's not pleased if you ask for things from Him. He's not pleased if you ask for eternal life. If you ask, what are you about? Not what could I get from you. Hmm? That is pleasing. That brings his attention to us. This is what the Godias are asking. What are you about? Hmm? <laughs> How can I participate in that? Hmm? He says, you're interested in that? Practically nobody's interested in that. Hmm? <laughs> My form like this is for that. Hmm? Yeah. People either approach other forms of me or even me for other things than this. Hmm? So, that action is bhakti, rag bhakti. It's been described there in the second verse. Machita, madgata prana, bodayanta parasparam, katayantas jamam nityam tushanti cha It's very powerful. By bodayanta parasparam, katayantas jamam nityam. By hearing and chanting, machita, the mind become, becomes absorbed. One enters into smarnam. Hmm? This smarnam is not a false smarnam. Therefore, bodhayanta, katayanta, what does he say? Machita, madgata prana. It corresponds, how he sits corresponds with how he walks. Hmm? If you want to sit, you have to walk in a particular way. You cannot sit for meditation and then walk for sense gratification. Hmm? Walk in such a way for, I mean to say, to move in the world in such a way for acquisition hmm? and on the basis of attachment for things and the thought that acquiring them will improve my situation. Hmm? Unless it is to acquire things to improve my practice, that I may facilitate my practice, Acquire a peaceful place to live, like Audari Ashram. They may acquire, attain something like this, a residence in such a place. That's another thing. But to move only for uh, pursuing the, the perceived necessity that arises in the world of the mind, informed as it is by sense perception as to what's good and what's bad, what's happy, what's sad, and moving accordingly at odds with others who think other things are happy than you, who think your, your, your cold is, 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 is actually his hot and so forth. This is, <laughs> this is what happens. We live in the world of the mind. We cannot get close to people. Hmm? We make a bargain for some time. We agree. Then we find out, actually, we only agreed on a superficial level as we really get to know one another. <laughs> We've got some differences in there. are irresolvable. Hmm? It's often, often the case. Unless those relationships, materially speaking, turn into a relationship that, that, that facilitates the pursuit of something beyond self. Hmm? Love beyond itself. Love of God. Hmm? Then it's a recipe for, for divorce. Hmm? Uh, you're not going to get too close on that, uh, uh, with, with that idea in mind. So, if you want to sit, you have to walk in a particular way. Therefore, the Gita recommends you have to walk in relation to actions. You have to walk without it being attached to the result of the actions. This will bring some knowledge into the heart, and then you can sit and meditate. So it holds true in, in bhakti also, to some extent, because there's a sitting aspect of bhakti. There's internal life to bhakti, and there's external bhakti. The hearing, the chanting... Uh, banging the the cartels and the drum with feeling, hmm? so, and uh, worshiping the deity and so forth. Different activities that we may be engaged in here at the ashram. Hmm? This is all external bhakti. That's not a bad thing. That will foster internal bhakti, internal life, and the ability to sit hmm? and and live within and view the ex- externally external world from within 
from that perspective, not just philosophically, but really. Hmm? And so in order to sit, so to speak, then we have to walk in a certain way. The voice says, Madjata, Madgata Prana. Because they're Madgata Prana, because their pran, their breath, means their movement hmm? is completely dedicated to me, they can sit. Hmm? Because there's no difference between their movement and their sitting. They're sitting for me, and they only get up to move for me, not for anything else. So this is the abhideya. First we have the sambandha, conceptual orientation, then the, which is a bhakti conceptual orientation. Then that action which that conceptual orientation fosters, it's called bhakti, he described it. Now in last night's verse and tonight's verse, he describes the prayojan, the fruit of that action that is bhakti, that is prem. Prem prayojan. Love of God. This prem is a very special word. And it is a word that, in Sanskrit, that is only used by the Gaudiyas amongst all the lineages of Vedanta in terms of their ideal. Mm-hmm. This prem word is, 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 is uh, the Gaudiyas, they have uh, posited this. Other Sampadayas lineages, they speak of mukti, liberation, mm-hmm. and love in the context of mukti. But mukti has a negative connotation to us. It's about getting away from something. Mukti means freedom, hmm? e- emancipation, salvation. It's a moving away from the ignorance and the suffering that arises out of that, that material existence constitutes. Hmm? And of course, in the context of that, loving God in some form or another, but the idea in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is we're not too concerned about the mukti. We're concerned about prem and mukti. That'll happen in its own, in due course, as a byproduct. Hmm? Without worrying about it, thinking about it, without cultivating atmagyan. Hmm? Therefore, Rupa Goswami says in his, in his treatise on bhakti that a little gyan and a little renunciation, these two go together. Knowledge and renunciation. If you have knowledge, in a real sense of the term, then what? The corollary of that is, as I said earlier, inaction. Hmm? In other words, if you have knowledge, then you know that the pursuit of things is a folly. Hmm? You can't even touch the things. That's from a scientific point of view. Speak of have them, own them, keep them here today and gone tomorrow. So you, you, it's therefore, if you have knowledge, you have renunciation. Mm-hmm. You, knowledge is, it's, it's implies the idea that some objectivity. With objectivity, we are able to step back and look at a thing without bias for what it is. Detachment. So detachment comes with knowledge. Mm-hmm. Rupa Goswami says, well, a little knowledge and a little detachment might be useful in the beginning of bhakti only. Hmm? But once the engine of bhakti, it's like if you've got a car and the battery isn't working, then you can get some guys out there and push it down the hill and it'll start. Once it starts, phew, those guys are in the dust going, oh, okay, okay, you got it. Uh, those guys are the gyan in the bhairagya. Hmm? Indeed see the measure of gyan and the measure of vairagya that comes in the context of bhakti. Jnaniyati asu vairagyam gyanam cha yarohitukam basudeve bhagavati bhakti yoga prayojitaha Bhagavat says so nicely. Oh, by bhakti, gyan and vairagya, jnaniyati asu vairagyam gyanam cha. Very quickly this gyan and vairagya come. And in what measure, in what, what, to what extent? The Sad Gosami, Rupa Gosami, Jiva Gosami, Sanatana Gosami, they're described like this. Hmm? The context of their bhakti, they were so preoccupied with loving Krishna that they forgot to eat. They forgot to sleep. Sankhya Pubaka Nama they chanted with such, in such measure, with such attention, with, and with such feeling, that 
fasting was not an issue that oh, I'm going to fast and practice some detachment today. Hmm? Consciously. In the Gyanamarg, they're consciously thinking things are attachment to things or ignorance. I should give them up. There's a conscious effort like this. They made no conscious effort for this. They made a conscious effort to love Krishna. And the measure of their renunciation is frightening. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the best example. Brahmananda Bharati, he wore only the deer skin. Hmm? Came from uh, arguably an Advaita lineage, a Gyanmarg lineage. But he met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the young, and he was old. Sin, renunciate. It meant he only wore a deer skin. It means he was like renounced guy. Hmm? Uh, visibly. And here Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a 25-year-old boy, beautiful, handsome. Hmm? And he's singing and dancing in the streets, which if you're going to renounce the world, what are you doing singing and dancing in the streets? Hmm? But it was of a different nature, that singing and dancing. Hmm? And the measure of the renunciation that accompanied it frightened Brahmananda Bharati. He, he, he was... He, it's, he was an old stalwart renunciate, and he was intimidated by the measure of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's renunciation and his knowledge. He was known as a youth, Nimai Pandit, a pundit as a youth. The, the, the descriptions of him in the Chaitanya Bhagavat of the Vrindabandas Thakur in, in Sakyabhav are so extraordinary. You read Chaitanya Bhagavat for this reason. Hmm? To hear the early pastime of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in, in Navadvip with his schoolmates hmm? in his in his uh, Leela's Nimai Pandit and uh, up, to, uh, up, to, up to an Azi he becomes a devotee. Hmm? He manifests himself uh, as a devotee encouraging the others at, at this conversion and then what uh, all that is involved. These are the most endearing most charming depiction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela in Nadia, in Navadvip, the ideal of the Gaudiyas. That Leela of Chaitanya corresponds with the Leela of Krishna in, 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 in his cow herding and uh, flute playing pastoral Leelas. There he showed such knowledge. The measure of his knowledge, the measure of his renunciation, that came, as arguably the ideas, in the context of bhakti, exceeds the measure of knowledge and renunciation on the part of those who cultivate it directly. Hmm? So, this comes here in light of, well, really in light of this verse, which speaks about a light, a light, Ganadipena Bhashpata. Hmm? He says, Krishna says, he says, I give a light, a brilliant light of knowledge in the hearts of my devotees. Here is the prayogen is talking about, attaining love of God, as it was spoken of in the previous verse. I give, I give buddhi yoga, I give bhava to my aspiring devotees in the ragmarg by which they can come to me. Or, if we look at it as, as prema, I give the knowledge, as we discussed last night, by which those Gopis, for example, can can meet me secretly. Hmm? Special knowledge. I whisper it in the ear of Madhu Mangal. He gives some sign language back and tells the rendezvous is over here, and they meet. This kind of special. This kind of. This is the knowledge he gives by which they can come to him. This is not sattvic gyan. <laughs> this is not atma gyan. Hmm? Knowledge of the self and the difference between body and, 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 and soul and so forth. These are very boring things to, uh, uh, to these, how excited they are by this love of God. It makes this thing, oh, this is, we have no ear for this. Hmm? So he said here in the previous verse, he gives some kind of knowledge. We talked about what kind of knowledge. Here he says it again. He says, Tesha me banu kampartham. This is Prem. Hmm? I have a certain kind of compassion hmm, for them, hmm, those devotees, 
And literally it says, I destroy their ignorance by lighting up the brilliant light of knowledge within their hearts. So given the context of how we're explaining these verses, obviously this can't mean I, 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 I illumine them by, by explaining to them that they're not their bodies. That they've got spiritual bodies. They've got, because they're machita, because they got bhava in the previous verse. They got, their minds were absorbed in asakti. Machita, madgata prana, this is described. They were attached to the object of love. Krishna, this is asakti. The last stage in, in bhakti, sadhana, sadhana bhakti, bhakti in practice. Then entering into bhakti and ecstasy. In bhakti and ecstasy, then this stai comes, is cultivated, this, this dominant emotion that defines the devotee in terms of a relationship with Krishna. Hmm? Uh, that stai that defines him, it is the basis of what we call a bhava deha, hmm? a body constituted of, of, of bhava for participating in the leela. This is like we depict it in art, we talk about it uh, in a narrative. It's dressed like this. He looks like this. He has these arms and two arms and uh, this color complexion and so forth. But this, this is hardly does justice to what the Baba Deha is. Hmm? It's a way in which it could be said it appears in the Leela. And it's an, ap- an appearance. But it, it, uh, uh, it's a... What is bhav? This this uh, is uh, transcends any uh, any explanation. Even if you go there and know it, you cannot explain it. Hmm? Coming back to this plane. So anyway, they get a bhava deha. They're not being taught here. Oh, you're not the body. This is not the lamp of knowledge that Krishna is shining in their hearts. Not only do they know they're not the body, they've got a spiritual body made out of bhava. <laughs> so what kind of knowledge is he going to give them? He says, I love them. Teshame partam. I love them. I have compassion for them. What kind of compassion do they need? In one sense, they, have this, they need this kind of compassion. They are, they are in bhava bhakti. They're aspiring for prema. They're in bhava bhakti in ecstasy. They're aspiring for bhakti and the love of God. Hmm? And there are some trace elements of their conditioning that remains in their lives that is an impediment. Hmm? Bhakti is very generous, but unfortunately, along with the opportunity to participate in bhakti, which is so generous, is, comes also the opportunity to offend bhakti or the object of bhakti or the bearers of bhakti. It happens. Hmm? If we are cautioned about that. Hmm? But such offenses, uh, especially to the bearers of bhakti, um, by bhakti they can be, the consequences of them, the, the implications of them can be eradicated, but it takes time. If you bite the hand of the person that feeds you, well, they might not come back again too soon. Hmm? But out of compassion, they come back. Try again. Like this, they throw it. Something like, like that. Uh, but you can understand. Because bhakti is as generous as she is, then there will be offenses. Because she will give herself to, to otherwise what would appear to be unqualified and unfit people. People have no atmagyan, not even any piety. They don't even have religious piety and they're treading the Dharma Marg and they have no knowledge of the self and bhakti is going to them through the chanting, for example, and they're chanting and they don't know why. And then one day they think they end up in a place like this. Very generous, so, so all kinds of people will come. Generosity means to not give the highest thing to the most qualified people, but the highest thing to the least qualified people. So some ruffians will come, and they may make offense, but they will tolerate to some extent. But those offenses will 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 inhibit one's um, 
uh, attaining the finality of bhakti and prem, even they will carry into beyond the bhakti and practice into bhakti and ecstasy. Hmm? So, in one sense, looking at it like this, Krishna is saying, there is some ignorance, ignorance that has, as a result that that is the result of ignorance of offending my devotee. Some some tinges of that remain. I come uh, and I destroy that altogether. That last, any last uh, such influences. Hmm? Uh, and and I, I, I do that by way of making their heart, illumining their heart. How do I illumine their heart? Not the way I illumine the yogi's heart or the jnani's heart. Hmm? I illumine their heart by, by appearing there personally. You see, light is luminous, and light has the capacity to illuminate. It's luminous itself. The light bulb is itself luminous, and it has the capacity to shed light on other things. Hmm? So Krishna illumines the hearts of other types of practitioners, he's saying here, hmm? who approach him not in the same way, not for bhakti's own sake, uh, and so forth. Still he illumines their hearts, hmm? destroys the ignorance of their attachment to material things, and so it gives them liberation in the way that a light illumines other th- illuminates other things. Hmm? But in the case of the devotee that he's talking about here, he says, I'm the light, and I, 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 don't, I don't just shed light on their heart. I appear in the heart as a light bulb. Hmm? And it's a very bright one, he says here. Ganadi pena bhashvata. A very brilliant light. Hmm? I, I turn their ecstasy. I'm, they're, they're, they're budding uh, repelation. Kampashu. Pulakala. Hmm? Um, they're budding. In the beginning, Baba will come like this with the little tears when chanting. Hair standing on end. Hmm? Maybe one or these two together. They'll come and go, come and go. Hmm? In time, other, for example, I'm talking about sattvika bhavas transformations, involuntary transformations will come. They take more development of bhavas, choking of the voice, passing out, hmm? so on and so forth. Now when you take these things all at once, then you multiply them, hmm? This is what he's talking about. I bring them to pray. Hmm? Brilliant, with brilliant light of my appearance. The, uh, this, this is, I am the be-all and end-all of knowledge. I personally appear in their heart. Vishwanathakutitaka in his commentary says, I, I, I'm saying here, not like I appear in the hearts of yogis and jnanis, but in a special way. Hmm? Because of the way in which you've approached me. After all, in jnana, we're not even interested in the form of God. And in yoga, we are interested in omniscience. The study of the Yoga Sutras, this is the goal. goal of yoga is omniscience. Like the Paramatma. Hmm? The goal of jnana is, is, to, is to live forever. Hmm? To, to live, exist forever. Hmm? The goal of bhakti is the love so you have Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. These are three aspects of the Absolute. Hmm? They correspond with different approaches. So they're approaching me differently, so I illumine them differently for my devotee. I personally, I am the light itself. I appear there in their hearts. Then if we look at it in the way that Puja Pachidomarsh looked at the verse last night, and the way he looks at this verse as well, not in terms of an aspiring devotee, a high devotee in bhava bhakti or in asakti, the last stage of bhakti and practice, but a perfect devotee, a devotee who has a bhava day, who's in the leela, not just who's cultivating one. Then, how do, how does he how does he deal compassionately with them, and how does he illumine their hearts with with what kind of knowledge? In that leela, it is like a, the leela moves like like an ocean of a high tide of union and a low tide of separation. Hmm? As Krishna in his divine play goes out of the house and goes into the forest to herd cows, 
those in the Leela, in Batsalya Rasa, in Madhurya Rasa, to some extent, who are left behind. Hmm? It's low tide, and it's high tide for his friends, and the cows, and all the forest creatures who are now experiencing yog, rather than be yog, union with him, rather than separation in the context of the Leela. So they can only tolerate this separation for so long, although it makes their feel their love for him grow fonder. Nonetheless, it's like a dark shadow that he comes to illuminate and mitigate their feelings of separation by again um, appearing before them in union. This is particularly the case in the, in, in, in the Rasalila, where he disappeared. He disappeared... They did. They did Lila Kirtan hmm, along the banks of the Jamuna, the Gopis, and on the base of that Kirtan, he appeared there again hmm, to satisfy them, to 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 dissipate their darkness, so to speak, the dark night, to use a Catholic term, of the soul. Hmm, these feelings of separation. So, this then has a few words he's spoken on these four verses and why and how the Gaudias feel that they are really the full, the full reach of what the Gita is pointing in the direction of that is the direction of the Bhagwat, as I said, from the civilization of intelligence to the civilization of the soul itself. Hmm? From that which will take us in that direction to actually what goes on there in detail, something like that. Hmm? Any question? Yes. <clears throat> in the context of um, what you spoke about in regard to the, the presentations of jnana and yoga and the goals of jnana and yoga, like that, um, and, and as, as we discussed before, there, there's going to be different kinds of conceptions and presentations and aspirations of kind of like the newer students of, of either of those is, and there's going to be a different presentation by those who are quite advanced in, in realization just as in Bhakti there's a great difference between those who are newer students and those who are actually advanced and yeah. So it seems as if the whole presentation, kind of the presentation of, of jnana and yoga has changed very dramatically over the course of the last hundred years. Um, in the late 1800s and into the 1900s, it was exactly as you described, um, where the one would uh, stop all action in order yeah, but what, what's happened, what you're really saying, if I may, yes, what has happened is that they've come in the direction of bhakti. That's right. Because, that's, that's exactly therefore, you should do bhakti. <laughs> because, who can talk? Because, it, it's not easy to, to, you just ask the question, which would you rather have, knowledge or love? Which is which is more important, the head or the heart? And so, therefore, you have all. What is the most popular form of of, of Buddhism? It's Tibetan Buddhism, and what's it all about? Uh, the compassionate heart, and, and so forth. This is the m- more popular. Even in Zen, even in the Zen circles, they they come in a direction. There's a book by Zen, you know, uh, teacher, contemporary Zen teacher of the of the West here. I forget his name now. The, the way of the heart. You know, I mean, this is not how the, how the Buddha talked about about it, uh, and so forth. And similarly, in the neo-Advaitin schools and so forth, you, you find this emphasis on on on, on bhakti and a, moving in the direction of bhakti. And so that all serves to to really um, underscore the point I'm making. It doesn't serve to underscore an idea that. You follow any of these paths, you're going to end up with the same thing. Hmm? They're all coming in the direction of bhakti, of love, and a differentiation within within transcendence and so forth. Hmm? So, I don't know. I just comment on your. Yes, indeed. Yeah.
And it's, it's certainly abundantly clear that the, the path uh, laid down by the Gaudi Vaishnavacharis is, is the most direct route, so to speak. Um, but also I've noted that so many devotees through the decades, because they weren't able to exemplify the previous acharyas in terms of a true selflessness, a true, completely loving and giving spirit in which there was nothing in it for them whatsoever, because they were not able to really embody that, they became discouraged and stopped all practices and all uh, sabhusanga altogether. And so, it, it kind of like what I've noted in my own direct experience is um, that, the, well, just as the, the more contemporary teachers of Yanis, they speak about how it's all about surrender. It's not how much you know. Forget about trying to know everything. Forget about trying to wrap the, you know, your mind around everything. It's not going to happen. The finite mind cannot understand the infinite. So just surrender. And the only question you should ask yourself at the end of the day is how well have I loved today? How much have I been able to give or contribute uh, to life, to the whole of life today, like that? And, and so it's all pointing towards what, what Gurmarsh called the, appro- the approach of the cat rather than the monkey. Uh, the monkey is like, you know, making the effort to hold on and grasp, whereas the cat is just trusting, it's just letting go and surrendering and trusting that it will be carried in the mouth of the mother like that. So I was wondering if, if you had anything to share in regard to um, uh, that, that example, that the, the, the cat approach to recognizing one's true nature as kind of like the fundamental a foundational basis prior to being imbued with love and praying and rasa. Well, you're talking about an example of a monkey and a cat. The monkey and the cat example is that the the monkey carries her young, the mother monkey, um, as long as the mother, as the monkey holds on to the mother. Right. Whereas the cat carries the kitten in, in the back of the neck. You've ever seen the cat even the kitten doesn't hold on. So there are two schools of thought about that. Um, but um, actually in the Bhakti school of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, there are two things. There is effort and there is grace. And, but the, but it's, 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 it's an effort to get grace. Hmm. So there's some effort to position oneself in such a way that one will be attain more grace and, 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 and blessing. So... Um, and, and you have, and you have an object of love, so you can make some effort in relation to him. If your object of love is not very well defined, and you want to talk about bhakti and surrender, then perhaps the the, the cat example and the kitten may may be more uh, applicable. Um, I mean, the way you're speaking about the idea in, in of in, of gyan and and surrender is is rather abstract in comparison to the way it's spoken of, indeterminate in comparison to the way it's spoken of in, uh, in, this, in, in the bhakti tradition of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But at any rate, um, people will follow according to their, their faith. We can't expect otherwise. And, um, and faith is also... When I use the word, I mean it in the sense of illuminating. And so, according to the, there, for Rupa Goswami says, the measure of one's faith, one will be more or less capable of treading the path of bhakti. The beauty of bhakti is that the eligibility for treading the path is faith, whereas actually the eligibility to tread the path of yoga and jnana according to the, the seminal texts, is not only faith, there are other qualifications that have to be in place. The beauty of bhakti is that without anything else in place, just the faith in bhakti's efficacy, one can proceed on the path. 
However, the, the measure of one's faith and experience will determine the extent to which one is capable of, be, of successfully treading the path. And so some persons may have, well, they will begin with weaker faith, and if they don't take the necessary steps to strengthen the metal of that faith hmm, that is explained in the, in the text themselves, then they may, they may drift and so forth. And then they may adopt other practices that help them in some ways, psychologically or even in a general um, uh, spiritual sense. But I, d- I don't think that... Um, I'm, I'm not a... Um, I'm not a... Um, it's not a kitchery. That's what I want to say. Kitchery is you just throw everything in the in and stir it up. Hmm. There are different tastes, there are different preparations and so forth. And there are different faiths. Hmm. And um, and I think that I think that as I said earlier, that the path of yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, mystic yoga, as described in the Yoga Sutras, the path of Gyan in the text that is described, are not very palatable to people in this in, in this day and age as they are. So, so they need to be adjusted, tweaked and so it, it make them so and they're tweaked and adjusted in the direction of, of 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 bhakti. Now, a poor understanding of bhakti hmm, is 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 and and thereby weak faith. That's not strengthened by a, by um, the heart is not made harmonious with the head. Hmm, um, doesn't understand that that which is that which is important in gyan marg or the yoga marg that is supposed to manifest within the context of bhakti. Therefore, they don't know what they're looking for in the context of bhakti. They may even criticize other paths for attaining things that they don't realize are something they're supposed to be attaining in the context of bhakti that should be showing up that's not. And so they end up having a very religious orientation to bhakti rather than a spiritual experiential orientation to bhakti. This is the typical prakrta bhakta, the the, the neophyte. Hmm? doesn't have very strong understanding of what the teaching really is and ends up with only a religious orientation to the faith. It doesn't satisfy him or her. Then somebody will think, that's all this is. There's just this, this, this religious orientation to bhakti. And then I want to go to another school where I get a direct experience of the, uh, that I'm not this body and, 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 so, and so forth. Hmm? So it's based on a lack of uh, real un- understanding mm-hmm. that makes for uh, a kind of faith in which the head and heart are harmonized, so to speak. And there's a, there's a, there are a lot of devotees, so to speak, like that. And this is what they're preoccupied with, really, a religious orientation to bhakti that doesn't afford much experience. And see, it's, it's because bhakti on its face looks like that, they're just having a, having a fun time. Hmm? Whereas yoga looks like this serious stuff. You know, that guy's twisted up like a pretzel there. He's living off in a cave, you know. He's a serious guy. And this other guy's gyani. He doesn't say anything. He just walk in, he holds his hand up like this. You think he must know a lot. I guess. Hmm? He's silent. Hmm? He's silent. Yeah, be silent for a while. I took a vow of silence for a year and a half when I was 21 before I met Prabhupada. Hmm? It's powerful. Um, but at any rate, those practices, yoga and gyan, overtly appear to be about experiential spiritual life. Bhakti necessarily doesn't appear like that. Hmm? You can go shopping in bhakti for the deity, of course, <laughs> and so forth. You don't have to fast except, you know, in the context of certain... Mostly, it's it's feasting after offering to the deity. So it's 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 difficult to it's really difficult to grasp what it is and so forth. People misunderstand, misunderstand it. Their faith in it is weak, tender, komal. Their shraddha is very tender. Therefore, they don't get the experience. Therefore, they gravitate towards other things hmm, that are said to afford a more immediate uh, experience. And then, even when they do that. They carry with them their bhakti ideas that they don't really want to give up <laughs> because they're sweet and charming and so forth and they're hoping they're going to get them 
over there where they didn't get them over here. Really, a better understanding of bhakti would be would be the best course. Hmm? And uh, then they can chant in such a way as to get the experience. And an experience that exceeds the, that which could be experienced in the context of a, of a different bhakti kind of tweaked yogic orientation and so forth. This is my opinion. So, it was a long question, a long answer. I think we should stop there and gather again tomorrow. Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai, or Nityananda ki jai, Bhakti Devi ki jai, or Bhakti Brinda ki jai.